0: welcome to sexology a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist dr Nazanin moali hello there you are listening to another episode of sexology podcast i'm your host dr Nazanin. Moali. Today, we're going to talk about how to become sexually dominant in the bedroom. This is part of our sexual skill series. Per your request, we're doing three months of teaching sexual skills. So if you just found out about our show, make sure you are subscribing, following our episodes because like lots of exciting things coming your way. Today, I have an announcement for you. I'm hosting a live workshop to help you to create the most successful date night. Many of my clients, they're telling me that they are feeling bored during the date nights. They feel they're doing like the same thing over and over again. It feels very boring for them to do the movie and Netflix and the dinner thing that they're doing. So that's why I thought it would be a great idea since the Valentine's Day is around the corner to to do a live workshop and to teach you my essential ingredients for a mind-blowing date night. I'm going to teach you five of my sexy seduction tips. And we're going to talk about a number of different ways to incorporate novelty in your relationship. So if you are interested to take the workshop, the link will be in the show notes. Make sure you are registering for it now. Spots are limited. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about how to become sexually dominant. One of the number one questions that I get a lot from many women is how can I talk to my partner about them taking charge in the bedroom? And many of my male clients telling me that it feels uncomfortable to take charge. Their girlfriends, their wives, they want them to to take charge, but it feels silly to them. They don't know what to do. So I invited one of my favorite sex educators, Frederick Kizal, to come teach us all of his favorite strategies that has helped hundreds of people to change their bedroom routine and incorporate power dynamic and power exchange in the bedroom. Today, we're going to talk about some of the ways that you can step into your power to become more dominant. We're going to talk about the actionable steps that you can take to discover your dominant side. We're going to talk about psychological dominance. We're going to talk about physical aspect of taking charge. We're going to talk about Aftercare, so make sure you're listening to this episode till the end. As I mentioned, our guest is Frederick Zal. Frederick's sexual education work has focused upon erotically marginalized communities partnerships and individuals since 2006 by teaching the art within sexual acts in private lessons semi-public and private events and workshops in oregon washington california british columbia and via zoom They teach mindfulness, ritual, communication, consent, sexual attitude reassessment, tantra, kink and other embodied erotic pathway with an ever broadening understanding of power differentials, sociopolitical impact over the centuries and ways to truly dismantle what they feel in their blood and bones to be corrupt and flawed and culturized system. Frederick is truly amazing. I hired him before to teach couple classes for my course, Bedroom Fizzle to Sizzle. He taught us about Chantra and BDSM, so I'm pretty sure that you guys are going to love this conversation because I always enjoy having Frederick in my programs. Before I go to our conversation today, I wanted to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Cozy Earth. They provide a number of different types of sheets and loungewear. They were on Opera's list of favorite items, and their sheet has been one of my favorite sheets that I ever tried. I'll tell you all about my, my experience of using their sheets and lingerie at the end. If you are interested to get their sheets, you can use our promo code Sexology to get 40% off of all their products and appreciate that you're supporting our show with using our code. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Frederick za Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and thrilled to have Frederick Zal on our show today. Frederick, welcome to our show. Hello.
1: I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is definitely a
0: treat. <laughs> I was thinking about how to bring it up. I, I was sharing with you right before I started recording that I have a little bit of flu. I think that, that has been impacted my <laughs> Uh, my uh, cognition as well. Mm-hmm. I love to have you here because I know me and you, we recorded an educational series. You were one of the instructors in the, in the, in the course that I was curated. And I love the content that you shared with our students. Mm-hmm. I think it was. It had lots of good information and also actionable. So I thought it, it would be wonderful to have you on the show so you can tell us more about, go in depth about some of the things that we that we talked in the course.
1: Well, thank you. I, I had so much fun doing a little teaching for you. And I hope that those will be available soon so people can enjoy them right after listening to this podcast, perhaps. And yeah, you're absolutely amazing. I love your work. And I've been listening to your podcast a bit. And it's spectacular and so many amazing guests. So I am wow. thrilled to your guests.
0: Well, thank you so much. So this is part of our house series. And one of the questions that I get a lot from people is they love to explore kind of power exchange in the bedroom, but they feel silly about it. They don't know what to do, uh, how to do it they at times lack confidence and all sorts of things that show up. Before we go into the kind of like how to and kind of like uh, helping people with mindset and all of those great things that I know you do, I'm kind of curious to hear more about your story. How did you arrive to (laughs) this kind of like BDSM scene? How did you find this is something that you're interested in?
1: It's, It's sort of a funny thing. So I've been kinky essentially since first, but I, when I was growing up, I thought the kinky people were like the mass murderer psychopaths they were like those horrible people I didn't realize that I was one of them and so if you've ever seen the movie Gia, it's, it's in Philadelphia it starts off in Philadelphia which is where I grew up and I was part of the punk rock scene there and so the kink scene and the punk rock scene are all kind of one and the same and so I just like going out dancing and the culture that I was part of, it was the kink scene, I just didn't know it and so when I moved out to the west coast of Portland, Oregon, I continued going out dancing and clubbing and with, with these people who I've known my whole life and it wasn't until I was probably about 30, 30 too, that I actually learned what the kink scene was, and I learned that I had been going to the kink scene since I was 15 years old. As soon as my ne- my cross-street neighbor had a driver's license and my neighbor's my neighbor's brother owned a, a big club in town that used to be a, a lot of the punk rock shows. Oh, nice. Yeah, sorry, don't mean to get you in trouble, but I used to sneak into those shows. <laughs> and yeah, so it, it was just kind of natural part of life. And I also grew up in a time of like when nine and a half weeks was out there. There are all these things in the media. And so I didn't grow up with comprehensive sex ed. I mean, basically it was turn your head to the left and cough. That was the extent of sex ed in, in my school experience. And so culturally, uh, it's basically how I learned about sexuality. My, my parents are physicians and they definitely taught me the physiology and the science and the, the psychology of it. But the actual emotional, the, the the primal aspect of being passionate, that it was inklings from, from media, from films, from TV, things of those sort, from books that I've read. That's what made me think what was normal. And I followed what felt natural to me, which led to this kinky path. But I didn't actually know that I was kinky. I thought I was totally vanilla. I, I didn't know that I was kinky. <laughs> Uh, until my 30s. And I definitely had partners over the years that were thrilled to be with me in different ways. Not, not all, of course, but you know. And uh, yeah, so I just, I thought it was totally normal. And I actually would recommend that if anyone does think that they're, they're kinky, that you are normal. I firmly believe 80% of the planet is in fact kinky. Depends upon where you put that little dividing line. So if you include things like hickeys and blindfolds, pretty common, normal things in US culture. So yeah.
0: Love that. And I have so many questions question about what you just shared with us how did you know it's not a kink scene I I just want to know like you were going by that point like 15 years to those places how did you miss it
1: well, I just, I just, I love dancing. My my mother was a ballerina and a figure skater. And so I grew up dancing and I've always loved dancing. And yeah, I just, I just like the baseline of the music. And I, I like getting, I have a monkey mind. So I think all the time. And so I like getting out of my head and getting into my body and dancing and sweating and having fun and doing that sort of flirty, dancy thing you can do with other people on the dance floor and all that sort of stuff. And so I mostly was going to clubs to go dancing, but you know, there's like, this spanky whippy thing that was going on over in the in the corners, and sometimes there were a little what I now know as play areas that were there, and uh, you know it's Philadelphia, and so things were like they were like behind chain link fence and very sinister, and it was. I'm talking about the '80s, so that was well before the DSM declassified kink as a pathology, and so it was part of the underground scene. I mean, the the gay scene, the kink scene, the punk rock scene; these were all things that, and in Philadelphia, when I was growing up, they they came together because they were all considered to not be okay by common society. And so I think that's why culturally they came together. And then there's just a lot of people like wearing leather and black and I don't know. I I honestly, I thought it was like a goth punk rock scene. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Until
0: a long time later. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And and I wonder if things are kind of like for, so I grew up in a conservative community. I grew up in Iran during religious kind of like government, governing and all of that. And to me, what's hidden and taboo, it's hundred times more sexier. (laughs) So if they say there's a club like down the the street that you can go and it's like easy admission. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. (laughs) <laughs> but, but you oh. describe sound <laughs> hundred times
1: sexier. You're going to love this one. Another facet is, uh, so I actually, I grew, grew up in a conservative world as well. I was actually being trained in Yakhazan, which is a cantor, the spiritual leader in Judaism that sings. And so one of the fascinating things to me though, is Judaism now is considered a religion. It used to be a culture. It used to be a, a tribal people, a nomadic tribal people. And the the original tribal Judaism, the shamanic Judaism, it actually had a lot of sexuality. So the the people who led the spirituality, they were uh, female priestesses and they were highly sexual in the way in which they embodied their spirituality and the the rites which they performed at that point in time. And so sexuality actually was very much part of Judaism well into the Roman Empire, which is when it started to shift from a spirituality and a culture to being a religion so that one could be a, a roman jew instead of a jew first
0: that is fascinating yeah. i think you're selling religion now to me <laughs> i think you have a skill to sell lots of different things Now i'm thinking about like i want to go to punk rock i want to join a <laughs> religion
1: well i mean I, I i do definitely have friends that have, wear some really sexy nun outfits and uh you know i i'm i have no problem wearing like the like, collar it's it's kind of hot <laughs>
0: Well, I, 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 can, I, I can totally see that I can go totally in a different path. <laughs> so I'm trying to <laughs> refocus here. So tell me, tell us more about the kind of like that skill that can people cultivate. I know that I bet you work with lots of people that they want to kind of tap into their dominant side and they're struggling. Right. What gets in the way of people to tap to that part of their personality? Sure. Well, I
1: think the first thing is there are things that, as I said, like I was inspired by books and, and television and, and and, and films, things. And those are wonderful. And if that, that inspires you, great. But at the end of the day is to really know what it is about for you, like you personally, not what your friends are doing, not what your friends say you should be doing, what, not what the internet tells you you should be doing, but what are you genuinely curious about? And what are, through that curiosity, what are you then passionate about? And so one of the starting things I always like to help people understand is the word dominant is often used in culture, but often they're referring to this idea of top and bottom. So top Topping is someone who is bringing physical sensations to a dynamic. They're potentially directing those physical sensations from the top. And then a bottom is the one who's receiving those sensations, such as spanking and flogging and all that kind of stuff. Dominant submissive, it can have a physical component, but dominant is primarily a heart-mind connection. It's this idea of feeling a connection to another person where you're choosing to be part of a team and you're asking one person on that team to take the lead. That person is not doing it as, as a despot. They're, they're doing it in a team manner. They're doing it hopefully with the interest of both people, but one person is potentially taking the lead. And so that's the thing is that if you're interested in being a dominant, which is someone who's potentially taking that lead, maybe you've experienced doing that work, right? Maybe you're... The team captain on your baseball team, maybe maybe your project team at work that you help guide and direct things. Maybe you like to co-team with people, right? Uh, so there's there are different ways in which you can go about that leadership. And one of the key things about leadership is having some clue what the people you're leading want. because if not, you're gonna have a rebellion, which sometimes can be fun and sexy and playful. But if it keeps going on, that means that if someone's probably upset and your relationship will end or there will be arguments and things of that sort. And so I think step one of dominance, if you're curious about dominance, and that can be the physical or the emotional, is to have a sense of who you are, what you want, and then carefully listening to other people in your life so that you're guiding in the direction that you're both passionate about, knowing where the lines in the sand are of what you or your other person do not want to do. And please respect that. I teach at the Consent Academy. Please come to my my workshops. I'd love to talk to you, everyone, about consent. We're actually teaching one tonight but uh, to really listen, listen to yourself, listen to the others. And so that's a really great place to start.
0: I love that. So I'm hearing that you're inviting people to kind of like uh, play into kind of look into the part of themselves that has this quality already and kind of like try to channel that in this bedroom relationship that they have. Am I getting that correctly? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. And so the physical components can come in time. And so like when I was growing up, you know, Julie Newmar was the original Catwoman and her and in her cat suit and her whip, like it melted my mind. I was, I don't know, eight years old, 10 years old, whenever I was watching that. And I remember I looked forward to every single episode with Julian Newmar in it. And that was part of what eventually made me realize that I was kinky. And so now as a way to embody that, you know, I I tried on different things. I literally tried on different things. And so I, like last weekend, I was up in Seattle for this performance and I was wearing a catsuit and I felt great about it. And, you know, I was all shiny and sexy looking, hopefully. And it was a lot of fun. And I also, the, the first sort of big purchase I did once I realized I was kinky was I bought a whip because, you know, Catwoman had a whip, so I needed to have a whip. And they're really fun. And I actually, I love cracking a whip. It's it's a lot of fun to play with. But not a lot of people like to, to be whipped. Uh, in reality, a lot of people will be curious about it. And if I am carrying it, people always have lots of questions. But it's kind of a terrifying thing, right? A whip can actually cut flesh, which is why whips were originally a torture device. Or for signaling and dog sledding. <laughs> but... Uh, there are other things like one of those other curiosities, the things that you potentially want to delve into, things you want to explore. And so, spanking—part of why it's so popular—is because you know we have hands, and we don't have to go out and buy special equipment. And so, we can start by practicing that. You know, maybe you grew up with corporal punishment in your family, so maybe you were spanked. Maybe that turned you on. Maybe it didn't. But it's part of our culture, and so it's something that is pretty easy for us to step into and adapt and explore. And then potentially there are many more things. Right? There's fire play. There's electrical play. There are all these other really fun, juicy things that we can do, but they're maybe a little bit outside of the day-to-day understanding of sexuality and sensuality. And they also start having more and more technical skill that's required, right? Fire is dangerous. It can burn you. It can kill you. Electricity, right? You can cause someone to go into like cardiac shock or brain hemorrhage, right? Bad. So you need to practice. You need to learn how to do those things. But once you learn those skills, you can play with it in a really fun, lighthearted way or a very scary, intense way, depending on what your dynamic is. And you can be really safe with that stuff, but start with what you know. And I also recommend for people to try no more than three things at a time. And the reason for that is if you try three different things, you can please only try one, but if you want to try a bunch, don't try more than three so they can see if you like it. Like really savor it. Like if it's a a meal that you're eating, Savor every bite, savor every movement of that flogger as an extension of your arm, savor every little buzzy zappy sensation of electrical play, see if you really like it, and then take a deep breath. Ground, Get. remind yourself of who you are as an individual, what is important to you, what revitalizes you, and then try it some more. And maybe you, you love all three things, maybe you only love two. So keep going with the things that you're, you enjoy, the things that you're curious to explore more, and then maybe add one more thing and then that's how your repertoire over time can get to be very complex right the i teach a huge range of kink mode elements right i and i didn't teach them all from the beginning over 20 plus years of serious study like i practiced and learned and practicing meant i was (laughs) i was I was whipping pillows. I was standing in my backyard and picking leaves off of trees to like fling my whip to like specifically like pluck a single leaf off of a tree, right, to create my accuracy. To be able to have a sense of my sensation, to be able to tickle the leaf versus making it fly off the tree, and so over time I was able to practice these things and then add more things to my repertoire. And so now there's a whole bunch of stuff I can do. But I didn't start off that way, right? I started off with just one or two or three things.
0: I'm, I'm I was laughing and smiling because I was thinking about like how much of it it's skill. Like even the basic things are skills. Uh, because of my podcast, I continuously get kind of like gifts and uh, stuff from different companies and stuff. And I got this very nice sets up like plugs and whips and all of that and I would like open it. I was like oh honey I know how it works I was talking to my husband <laughs> I've seen dozens of <laughs> performances I'm an expert <laughs> and I like, st- started applying I was like going like everywhere <laughs> but but the places I was supposed to go so I right. agree. it's absolutely skill <laughs> and like it's good to start small and I guess like looking at things is different than have a kind of experience applying them. So definitely it's an acquired skill. But what I find challenging is I have clients that they go to workshops and have different places they learn the kind of physical component of it but I feel emotional peace also is super super valuable because they feel silly they feel like like I'm not kind of stepping into that power and that at times can kill the mood so tell us more about that how can we awaken that peace
1: so I'll try to talk about it. I, I don't really believe in dualism, but for the sake of simplicity, maybe I'll talk sort of from, from the top bottom from dominance and this is sort of side. Not that you know you can also be a switch, there's lots of range, so you don't have to be just one or just the other. Uh, but for conversation,
0: simple. <laughs> yeah,
1: for, for conversation today, <laughs> we'll like just talk about it's binary. Huh. And so potentially uh, if you're a, a responsible top or a responsible dominant, I'm going to hope that you actually care emotionally and physically about the person you're doing things with. If you are a criminal sadist, you potentially don't, and that's where the pathology comes from and also where criminality comes from when you do not care about the other you're more on the sociopath side. But assuming that you are not a sociopath, assuming that you generally care about another, step one is to know yourself and have a a level of confidence in what you're doing so that you can focus on that other person, right? The flogger, the whip, it's a toy, but I like to tell people it's actually, it's it's a prosthetic. It's an extension of yourself. And so if you can feel enough comfort in your skill to be able to extend through your arm, through that flogger to the other person, then potentially you're going to create connection, right? It's the same way. Think about just kissing, right? The first time you maybe kissed someone, you were just so nervous. Oh my goodness, like I kissed a pillow or I, you know, kissed an orange. And but it didn't have a tongue and it didn't have lips and it didn't have emotions. And ah, so like that very first time you kissed someone, like what was going through your head? How much were you freaking out? And give yourself that same compassion the first time that you're going to spank someone the first time you're going to flog someone it's also it's very different for you right the first time that you feel your energy flowing through this prosthetic and pushing or striking another person that energy force ripples back to you it's going to feel different to you than anytime you've ever really flogged a pillow or something like that and so similarly if you're receiving that flogging, if you're receiving the spanking or the whipping or the electrical play, whatever that is. Maybe this is something that you've experienced in some ways, but maybe not with a partner. And so, or maybe you only receive spanking as punishment from a parent or something of that sort, but you didn't receive it in a sensual way. And so now that you have permission to enjoy the rapture of it, now that you have permission to not cower and think, think that, oh, this is punishment because I did a bad thing, but rather this is actually, this is the prize, right? This is, this is because I was good or I was bad, quote unquote, in a playful way, uh, that led to us now having this connective moment. So really feel into that. What is going in your heart? What is going on in your mind? Are you still thinking about taxes? Right? like, are you <laughs> present in the room? I'm totally strange. Like, mindfulness is such a huge component of this. And so often, like, I, I see this a lot in rope bondage, uh, rope bondage or shibari, that quite often people are so caught up in, am I doing the knots perfectly? What not do I do after this one and this one and this one? Like, what is the order that I do things in? You know, hopefully there's also a little bit of concern, of thought about, oh, how can I untie this if I need to? Or how do I adjust this if I need to? But they're not thinking about, you're putting rope on a person. You're not tying up a chair. You're not tying up a pillow. You're tying a person. You're supposed to create connection with a person. And so to really focus on that connection, right? One of the things we're taught about in sex is like giggling is okay, right? The beauty of sex for me isn't like when I'm all perfect doing all the right textbook things, it's like when we're giggling and we're like, Oh, actually that doesn't work. Can you go a little bit to the left or the, little to the right? Are you kind of accidentally fall off the bed? You know, those are the fun things. Those are sort of the memorable aspects that create connection and create a truth in the sexuality. And so being genuine and really connecting through the awkwardness, through the reality of, Oh, I'm nervous about this. Oh, I've never actually tied someone up before, but thank you so much for being the first person I've ever tied up or, I've tied up 50 people, but you're the first person I've tied up that I actually care about. Or we don't care about each other at all, like in that emotional relationship way, but we're going to have fun tonight and we're going to tie tie each other up and it's going to be really sexy fun. And that's totally cool too, right? What What is it for you right here in this present moment?
0: Love that. And I think the focus on kind of like this interpersonal component of it, mm-hmm. I think can make it much more Juicy and exciting and kind of like rich because I feel like for many people, when they start any kind of new act, they get caught into, oh God, I'm not doing it right. Like thinking about all the other times that they felt kind of like doing skills and all of that. But if you are kind of like tuning into the moment, that can be very helpful and healing and and can be very kind of like connecting well one thing that at times it comes up for people for like with my heterosexual couples like cisgender men that they they're perhaps their partner asks them to be more dominant in the bedroom is that the sometimes the blockage come from this place of I don't want to be kind of in this place of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be kind of like tapping to the things that I I don't believe in in a way, yeah. right? That that can be challenging. I think the contrast, that's what makes it exciting and hot and beautiful. Like when people are like a wonderful people, gentlemen doing all wonderful things and kind of like when things are different in the bedroom, that's mm-hmm. that's what makes it ex- exciting. So how can people work through that piece? Sure.
1: Well, I think we're in a, a wonderful, but also very challenging time, like especially when we're talking about this idea of bringing forward strong energy, bringing forward that, that idea of dominance, right? That I'm thrilled about the need to, well, not thrilled that we need to have the need mm-hmm movement, but I'm thrilled that we are now Mm -hmm. engaging the Me Too movement. I'm thrilled that we're now engaging toxic masculinity or potentially looking at ways to change for the future, which I fully believe we really, truly do. One of the joys of my mom, my mom was a pioneer of feminism. She was part Mm. of the first wave feminists. I was drenched in that as a child and I think of myself as post-structuralist feminist. But part of that is this dualism thing again, right? This masculine feminine, like Shiva and Shakti are not separate. They're not separate dualistic entities. Shiva and Shakti were one and the same. This idea of gendering, this idea of what different people, different roles, that did not exist originally. That came along much later later on in the creation of civilization. And so when we're trying to figure out how to be present in our true self, how to conjure forward our strong energy to be that dominant role, that doesn't mean that you can't be kind. That doesn't mean you can't be generous or chivalrous or respectful. That means that you're bringing strong energy while you're being kind. That means you're bringing strong energy while you're being respectful. And that, that is the key. It isn't about doing one thing or the other. It's about doing it all, doing all those things concurrently, in the ideal of what you believe it is to be a good human being, and so that is the challenge. We've been sold on to be a man that you have to be X, Y, and Z, and that's often quite toxic, right? We're not. That's why I was talking about the giggling, right? Perfection is one of the myths, right? It is one of the myths that O'Kunes talks about that we need to just eva- we need to shatter this idea of perfectionism. It's okay to make a mistake. It's it's okay to giggle. It's okay to, you know, actually be like, oh my God, I can't find your clitoris. Like that's okay. Right. And so to be in the present moment and to be awkward and to be part of that while at the same time you're, you're engaging as the team leader, you're directing things and you are receiving that energy as a gift from your, your partner because they want you to lead. And so As you start to to feel into that, as you start to take that lead and start feeling more comfort in taking that lead, and trusting yourself knowing that you're listening to yourself and listening to your partner you're going to feel like this very vague blurry very wide path where you can do anything go anywhere it's going to become more and more focused so that you know that you are on the path that makes sense for you you're going to energetically feel that you are aligning with what your purpose is in life and sexuality and then that will lead you to that truth which potentially might be your dominance in the exploration to potentially find your dominance, you might actually find that you're submissive. It happens on a regular basis, right? Like I love one of my five love languages is accent service. I love to provide service, but I also love to receive service. And so like I will be a dominant, but I will happily like give my, my partner a pedicure. I will happily make tea and bring bring my partner and their friends a, a tray of tea and cookies and things because that's part of me expressing my love to the other person. But to feel the dominance, to feel like that Hollywood version, that comes from permission and that comes from confidence. Do you feel the personal permission from your partner, from society, from the way that you're engaging in your world, the world that you know, do you feel permission to be your full self? Not necessarily like walking down the street, not necessarily when you're at the mosque or in church or or at the grocery store. Maybe some days, yes, but Right now, if you're in the bedroom, do you feel permission to be your full self? If not, maybe you need to think about that a little bit, or maybe you need to have a conversation with your partner a little bit to figure out where that permission lies. And then do you feel a level of confidence? Not perfect confidence, right? That's part of the toxicity. That's part of that, that perfectionism. Do you feel enough confidence to take one step forward? Do you feel enough confidence to kiss someone for three seconds? Do you feel enough confidence to even pick up the flogger? Do you feel enough confidence to cast that flogger forward towards your partner, whether you strike them or not? Do you feel the confidence to actually strike your partner? Where are you in that cycle so that you can start feeling your strength, start feeling that permission to be the self that you want to be? And the mystery that you might not be the self that you think you want to be until you try it out and you find out you're actually something different. And That's cool. That's
0: awesome. I, I think it's so powerful that you're talking about kind of giving yourself permission to explore and be curious because sometimes in life, these roles are kind of assigned to us. Like, this is what I wanted you to deliver. And from even childhood, and that's that's like what you need to do. It's kind of goes to this place of performance instead of kind of like tapping into your true self. So tell us. I know we had this conversation a little bit before we started recording, but tell us what do we need to master for physical domination?
1: <laughs> I yeah, I think I love that question. I love the question because of the of the, the audacity of it. This idea of masterhood. and so uh once upon a time there was a thing called the guild system and so like i studied chado, i studied japanese tea ritual so the tea master is not only part of a family lineage of people who have been studying tea for for generations but is someone that has been considering this path deciding whether they wanted to be on this path and very seriously practicing this every single day well almost every day for their entire life. And so in the guild system, this idea of mastery, you didn't start off as a master, right? You apprenticed under someone for a very, very long time, potentially even before you were an apprentice. You hung out with those people, you had dinner with those people, you got to know the culture of those people, you learned the language before you even, you know, if you're uh, an apprentice carpenter, before you picked up the hammer, before you cleaned up uh, the nails and the sawdust, right? There are all these steps along the way and we've lost that, right? We're now in this way, this society of instant gratification. And in certain ways, that's fine. But in other ways, like you're depriving yourself of the joy of the process and the path. And so I I love it. It's usually pretty easy. You can tell when someone has basically read like one blog posting and now they're like master poopy And they think that the best, (laughs) most incredible dominant in the world. And it's, it's just ridiculous because first off, you might know yourself, but I can guarantee you, you do not know the other person that you're doing things with inside and out until you've had a few dozen, if not a few hundred conversations with them before you've been intimate with them many times. I mean, just think about kissing, right? It's such a simple example, but the first time that you kissed your partner, the movies talk about it being this perfect, magical kiss. Maybe it wasn't, maybe you bash each noses into each other or like a nose into an eyeball You're, you know, maybe. One of you is wearing braces, right? You know, there is this, all these things that can happen. And over time, with interest and curiosity, you learned how to kiss each other. And so this idea of being a dominant, being a masterful dominant, It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice. On the other side, if we can stick with the dualism, the submissive side, I'll try to do my best princess bride voice. There's this one true submissive. There's this whole like myth that there's this way to be a perfect slave or a perfect submissive. And I'm talking about consensual slavery, not chattel slavery. And so that also is a myth because it's a dynamic between your heart and what you want to do and the person that you're bringing your energy that you're potentially submissive to and what they're desiring. It's a dialogue. It's not something you just get off the internet from a blog post or even from five romance novels or from 20 workshops even. It is an, an experience. It's a life experience. And getting to know yourself, getting to know your partner, over time, slowly, you'll start to understand some sense of something maybe masterful. So like for myself, I'll meet people and people are like, oh, should I call you master? Should I call you sir? I'm like, no, oh, you should call me Frederick. If at some point <laughs> in time, you're inspired to call me sir, yeah, like that, I will be thrilled. I mean, when I, beard my beard started having gray hair and going through the food market, people are like, oh, thank you, sir. I'm like, <laughs> like I, I feel good about being called a sir now. For a long time, I was like, I'm not a sir. I'm I'm in my 20s. Uh, <laughs> but over time, you'll start feeling comfort in being a sir, being a master, being a femdom, being being yourself, being your true your mistress, being your true full self. And then potentially that's where you'll have mastery. It's in knowing yourself, that metacognition. It's, I would quite say that being master is enlightenment, right? Uh, maybe uh, uh, striving a little bit too far, perhaps. But It's on that path, right? This idea of reaching towards enlightenment, if you study yoga and meditation, this idea of slowly getting to better understand yourself and the world, people around you and the energy patterns. Over time, you might reach enlightenment. So over time, you might become masterful. But I think one of the keys in being masterful is the more you know, the more you know what you don't know. And so early on, you might think that you're masterful. Or if you do this thing another 12 times, you'll be masterful. I think for me, over time, the more I've learned, the more I've learned what I don't know, the more I've learned what I still need to learn. And a lot of that has been learning how to listen, learning how to communicate, because what I need to learn partially is about me, but mostly it's about the person I'm with. What turns them on today? Like if we plan to go on a date in a week from now, that's a great plan right now. But a week from now, maybe they had to deal with something at work. Maybe they had a car accident. Maybe there are different things going on in their life that they can't do what they talked about doing a week ago. So what do you want to do right now how do you want to connect right now is that with kissing is that with a whip is that with a flogger is that with fire play like how do you want to connect right now it might be you know take out food in a movie or a bath or going to a nice restaurant or a stroll in the park that might be the kinkiest most erotic thing you can do that night and that's awesome if both of you want to do that you know Depending upon where you are, maybe you could, like, you know, find some cute little spot to make out a little bit while you're at the park, or maybe you'll like, you know, go out to the dinner, but maybe one of you will be handcuffed under the table, and the the, the wait staff doesn't know that, so you can have your own personal kinky experience. So, what makes sense for you right here, right now, and through that get a sense of metacognition, through that get a sense of mastery.
0: I think that's wonderful like in, because it helps us to step away from the place of performance kind of think about yeah. what feels good right now between me and my partner and in this chapter of the life in this state, I think that's very powerful. I know for many people that when they're trying to do something that feels a little bit uncomfortable, it's helpful to kind of have a ritual around it. Like a starting and end of it. I know that you're a performer. So I, I bet you have no issue with tapping into different aspects of yourself, but I feel for most people it's it requires effort. So tell us a little bit about how can we, how can we channel that?
1: Well, I, I appreciate you uh, thinking that I can just turn a switch and magically turn off my monkey mind. But believe me, this thing goes continually, which is why I love physicality, because it helps me turn off my brain. But this actually goes back to that that religious training thing, that my main job as a chazen, a, or a chazen in training, was to create a threshold, right? People enter a space, whether it's a bedroom or a religious place, they enter it from the mundane world. They enter it through traffic jams, they enter it through paying for their groceries, they, they enter that world, the world where you want to go, they enter it through a world of potential stress and distraction. And to get present, right, this is where sense focus, this is where mindfulness, this is where this whole idea of the gas and the brakes, the aversions and attractions, this is where this starts to come in. And so how can you move from the mundane, frustrating, upsetting world into being present into the sacred world, that idea of connection and oneness, maybe with your partner, but oneness with yourself, with what you want to be? And so how can you turn those things off? And so there are many ways you can do that. There's a tantra workshop I went to years ago where someone, the the instructor gave us a homework assignment. So like when you first met someone, when you first started dating someone, as soon as you saw them, you rush to each other. You want to kiss each other. You'd make out for a whole bunch. But eventually you're in this relationship you're going, hey, how's your day? All right, I'm going to go do the thing. I'm going to take out the trash, whatever. But if you can, try to connect for just three seconds with your partner every single time that you see them again, right? If you have a puppy or, well, maybe not a kitten, but if you have a puppy, like they, they like run down the stairs and they're like, oh my God, you've been gone forever. You've only been gone for five minutes. But their mind, you've been gone forever. They're so excited. And so to have that enthusiasm, to welcome someone into a space, to let them know that you care and that you're pausing all the chaos of your life to be present with them just for three seconds, whether that's to hold each other, whether that's to look into each other's eyes, whether that's to kiss, whether it's just to take someone's coat off or, or shake off their umbrella, whatever this three seconds and then in the bedroom what are things you can do like some people like candlelight if that helps you get in the mood awesome use candlelight if you like music use music use whatever it can it takes to help you move into the space you want to be in move through the threshold from the mundane into the sacred space And so there are also, there physical ways you can do that, right? There's this huge art of burlesque, right? So maybe you are disrupting, maybe you're taking off your clothing in some sexy manner in the way of burlesque, or maybe your partner's taking off your clothing in a sexy burlesque manner, right? Burlesque can be partnered. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. solo. And so maybe that's one way of doing it. Maybe it starts with, you know, brushing your fingers through someone's hair, right? The, the the movies always talk about like going for the kiss. And some of the movies, some more wise movies, what I really love is they're like, go in for 80% of the kiss, like go to initiate to let someone know that you're interested in kissing them, but don't kiss them. Hover right before you're actually going to make contact. Let them then come to you, right? Initiate their brain, initiate the idea of kissing, initiate the idea of flogging, initiate the idea of fucking, but don't push it. Initiate it to conjure those idea in the other person and conjure up their reciprocity, conjure up They're meeting you, literally physically meeting you in that passionate act. And then what is the next thing you want to do or the other person wants to do? And then initiating that, but waiting, hovering, allowing the other person to move into that space with you. And so there are many ways you can do this. Like there's a ritual, which I like to do on a monthly basis when I'm in a longer term meaningful partnership, where I actually like to create a a ring of fire out of candles Mm -hmm. And us being naked inside that ring of fire to be able to have heartfelt connection, to be able to emotionally share what is going on in our relationship. And then we're in that space until the candles burn down, both because it's kind of neat to wait for that to happen and because of the safety aspect that if you start tumbling around all sexy, sexy with a whole bunch of candles around, you can let, let your hair on fire. So, you know, making sure that you push the candles out of the way or that they go out before you start tumbling around on the ground. What are the things that you can do? You know, maybe uh, your partner likes to have a, a glass of bourbon, or maybe they have slippers that they like to put on and take off their shoes, right? There's there's a traditional thing in the kink world, this idea of taking someone's boots off, I love that. You know, having someone take my boots off. I mean, it's not so much like the power dynamic of me being above them. It's more about them expressing their care for me being present with them, for me being back in a space with them, for for them wanting me to feel joy and comfort, to shed the day that I'm leaving, to enter into the sacred space and time that I share with them. So what are those things? Right? The romance novels have hundreds of examples. Use the ones that turn you on. Even the Hallmark cards, how great is Examples. Use the ones that turn you on. Don't use the ri- ones that you think are ridiculous.
0: I love that, Frederick. You inspired me to up-level my greeting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent.
0: <I> mean, <laughs> because, you know, in COVID, I feel we all need some, some more attunement to our partners. <laughs> because, like, you're in space with your partner. And I think it's such beautiful way of connecting. I I love that. and I can talk to you for hours. Can you tell us briefly about aftercare? Because I feel like this is like worth three episodes, but I want people to make sure they know about aftercare.
1: Sure. Well, uh, so I'm also an emergency medical responder. And so I will start with physiology and the medical care of aftercare. And so potentially one might be dehydrated. Potentially one has a lot of adrenaline and endorphins and everything going through their system. And so there's a physiological need, potentially while you're doing play that your body temperature goes up, you're sweating a bunch because of all the passionate, sexy, sexy fun. And so kind of wrapping yourself with a blanket, like a nice comfy, squishy blanket can be a really nice thing. It's potentially like the blanket is essentially a full body hug. The idea of having some water so you can rehydrate, but something that maybe also has electrolytes. And so I'm a fan that also brings on fruit uh, because fruit has sugars, has fructose in it versus glucose. So cookies will cause you to do a weird energy spike. If you do like a dried fruit or something of that sort, you'll have a slower energy recalibration. And so I highly recommend that. Chocolate is also something that can be really great because the way that you digest that, especially if we're going more in the organic, healthy versions of chocolates, they have less processed sugar and they're more in the natural natural ingredients and natural caffeines. And th- those can help bring you back into the present space. But basically, the main thing with aftercare is... So there if, if as a medical responder, if I find someone in the woods that is injured, right, I need to I need to see how conscious they are, right? Do they know where they are? Do they know their name? Do they know how they got there? Do they know the time? And so potentially in the kink world, you're gonna get all fuzzy brain, right? You're gonna go into subspace. And there's there's top space and bottom space, there's dominant space and subspace, it's not just one person that does this. And so potentially to you're gonna get all flighty, and so get back into your present body, into the moment. So you're also you're safe if you're gonna go drive someplace, or just for the matter if you're going to walk 20 feet so you don't stumble and fall onto the ground, right? You need to literally get your legs back under you. You need to literally ground your energy again. And so aftercare also needs to be specific to the person, right? I'm going to always keep coming back to you. it. needs to be communication. It needs to be specific to the person. And so what does a person need, right? Is someone diabetic? Do you need to be careful of that? Does someone have food restrictions or aversions or allergies? Maybe someone is allergic to certain materials and so you need to make sure that it's a silk blanket versus a polypropylene blanket versus you know like an actual animal hide right there are many different things what is the most appropriate aftercare for that person and then also what is the aftercare that you are genuinely willing to provide if you are like holding someone because society told you you're supposed to hold someone mm-hmm. they're They're going to be able to notice that, right? They're going to know that your heart's not in it and you don't really care. And so part of aftercare is you can negotiate. My aftercare is that you actually have a friend taking care of you because I have no interest in that. Now, if you need aftercare, you can then decide, well, do I want to be with someone that doesn't want to give me aftercare? Right? There can be a dialogue there. Um, And so when you're talking about monogamy and talking about those sort of things, that's part of that dialogue of what are the things that you like to do? What are the things that I need? And where's our common ground? Where will we meet on these things? And so some people, they're will, even though they might not be into like the hugging and holding someone with a blanket afterwards, maybe they're willing to do that and willing to do it happily because it's part of that, that agreement that you have. But for some people, they're like, Ooh, it just it feels horrible. I, I just, I'm not a hugger. I don't want to hold someone. It's just... So, okay, maybe what if I got you like a really heavy blanket? And so that way it feels like I'm holding you, but I just wrap you with a blanket and then I go get us coffee, right? So what are the things that you are willing to do? And what are the things that you need? How can you have that negotiation? Good starting place, fuzzy blanket, a little bit of dried fruit, maybe some chocolate and some water, maybe coconut water if you want to go fancy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I, and I think what uh, what's important, as you mentioned, I think this communication of care, right? That I thought like before I was in, in, in my current relationship, I thought, okay, it's more about the hugging that I like. But later on, as the relationship built trust, I was like, oh, I, I what's important is that the person care about me. So if they're going to Costco immediately, <laughs> that's also <laughs> great After. <care." laughs>
1: If we're going to Costco, make sure you're going to get those like itty bitty little like brownies because those are spectacular. And really? I, I, I stopped eating sugar a few years ago, but oh my goodness, I, I could eat half a box of those things. So I oh, need more information. <laughs> oh when I was at a play party and they had those little like bitty bitty brownies, oh. I oh yeah, it's gonna be good night. I'm gonna get the brownies <laughs> after I'm done. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Awesome. So I I, thank you for being so generous with your time. And I feel like we only covered like overview of things. And I know you have so many wonderful workshops and training and all of that. Can you tell us more about what what your programming tells where can people get a hold of you
1: and so tantra kink.com all squished together with one word so t-a-n-t-r-i-c-k-i-n-k.com and i don't know if there's going to be a chat thread in this but i will toss that into the chat um and so i teach tantra i teach kink i basically i teach a huge range of things lots of people like dualism and so the tantra and the kink is basically uh, approaching that dualism for others uh but i teach holistic sexuality and so So you do not need to be tantric or kinky to receive guidance from me. I basically help people understand what is, what do they desire in their mind and with their body? How can they communicate that to a partner? How can they ask for things from a partner? How can they learn the skills that they need, right? We talked about fire play. We talked about electrical play. We talked about flogging and spanking and whips and all those things. They, there's a technical skill that comes along with those things. And so sometimes I'm teaching people communication and sometimes I'm teaching people those technical skills. Um, kind of like going to a weird, weird yoga studio that, you know, you need to like learn how to do do downward dog by watching other people do downward dog, by going to a play party, but not the people necessarily do downward dog at play parties, but maybe if they're yoginis there. But but like, what what are the skills that you need to learn? And then potentially myself, or there's some other wonderful sexuality educators and pro-doms that are out there that teach these things. Uh, Of course, you know, come to me and I will happily do all the things. Um, But then I also, I teach at the Consent Academy. It's an organization in the Pacific Northwest where we teach all about consent and the idea that we are confronting the toxicity. We're we're confronting the way our society has been for quite some time to be able to help people be present, to help people to communicate, to express their needs and desires and then not ask for reciprocity, not ask for permission, but to put something forward so that someone else potentially can respond however they want to. That doesn't mean they're going to say, Yes. We're not trying to get people to say yes, but to put something forward honestly and genuinely and maybe someone will respond in, in a way that that meets what you meet or doesn't, that's the beauty of it, is to learn that communication. And so if you have interest, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I also have a passport and i love to travel. <laughs> so yeah, I, will, I work with people over Zoom. Before COVID, I worked with people in person on a regular basis. I'm starting to go back into working with people and in person again with COVID precautions in place. And let me know what you're curious about. There's a whole bunch of things on my website, tantrickink.com. A uh, whole bunch of examples of workshops I teach. I also, if you're going to be at the S conference, I am the chair of the BDSM committee, and I will be leading the discussion at our national conference in Puerto Rico this year and presenting on two topics, at the Society Society for Sexual Research. So yeah, please do reach out. I love questions. And if at a certain point, I feel you're asking me too many questions and I need to talk to you about my hourly rate, don't worry, I will let you know. I tend to be generous with my time. So ask me a few questions. And then if we need to go hourly, then we will talk about that at that point in time.
0: You know, for our listeners, I want them to know that Frederick is just so well-respected in the field. I was looking for someone to teach the course and he was recommended by five, six different colleagues saying that, oh, Frederick is your person. So if you guys are interested, curious about kind of like adding things to your bedroom, exploring different parts of yourself, I think Frederick is a right fit. <laughs> so I, I'll make sure the website link is in the show notes. So if you guys think of a chance to write it, you'll find it there. Thank you so much, Frederick, for coming in the show. Thanks for your generosity. And hopefully will you, uh, we will have you back in the future.
1: My pleasure. It is wonderful to talk to you every single time and I love love assisting you and the amazing people that are learning from you through these podcasts and and workshops so thank you so much
0: have a lovely day I hope you enjoyed our conversation. You know, one of the, I feel, the secrets that many women carry with them is their desire for their partner to take charge. Of course, that every person is different, but I hear it over and over from even strangers that they're telling me that I like something that I don't know how to bring it up with my partner. And it's often their desire for their partner to take charge. These are empowered, smart women but that's something that they crave in the bedroom so i hope that if you're one of those women you're sharing this podcast with your lover with your partner as a way to help them to learn the skills that they might need in order to help you feel more fulfilled in the bedroom at the end i once again wanted to thank our sponsor cozy earth they provide bamboo sheets that are 100% hypoallergenic. I love them, they're very durable. They sent me white sheets, I think a few months ago for for as part of our sponsorship experience for this podcast. And I love them. I wash them so many times, and those are one of the main sheets now that I use. What I love about it is they're just, help you sleep cool throughout the night. Many of the even the more expensive sheets that I have, they heat up. I guess my husband's body heat up the whole bed and I wake up three AM sweaty. But these sheets keep the bed cool and I love it. And they're very comfortable. I experience them to being lightweight and they are I, I think that's wonderful that they are free of any harmful chemicals. My body is sensitive and I haven't had any negative reaction to these sheets. I highly, highly recommend them. Make sure that if you are wanting to test their product, to use our code sexology to get 40% off. At the end, I also want to remind you to don't forget about the workshop. This is a limited time workshop I'm doing to help you to create your perfect sexy date night. The link to sign up for that will be in the show notes. I'll talk to you guys next week.